Welcome. You are listening to the Learning to Believe Again podcast with your host, Brittany Bexton. Where do you begin when you're learning to believe again? Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I have Andrew Duncan on with me today. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, good to be here. Would you tell everybody just a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So uh, my wife and I, we are living in a little province called New Brunswick in Canada. So we're Canadians. Um, And my wife is the assistant pastor at Lighthouse Church uh, in an island called Gramanam in in New Brunswick. And I'm kind of the I'm the kind of behind the scenes guy for her who does a lot of the 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 setup, the kind of, you know, uh, making sure all the wires are crossed properly. And so I was involved with um, aquaculture inside the, the fishing industry for quite a number of years. Uh, and so when we got transitioned here, um, I was able to take a, a, a year off work to focus on my wife getting, uh, you know, settled into a new position here. I'm also on the worship team here as well. Um, but more, more so than, than anything else is uh, I'm more so known for a lot of the dream work and stuff that I do uh, as long as uh, uh, some mentoring and discipling on the side as well. So kind of a, a, a nugget and bolts kind of guy when it comes to uh, the ministry and what we're doing here. So kind of all over the place, but also doing a lot of other things that are unseen that you wouldn't normally know unless you were a part of us. So we are we're doing a good work down here in, in New Brunswick. So. So New Brunswick, what part of Canada is that in? So if you think of Maine, we are just just above, or depending on which way you look at it, below Maine. So we're we're just on the border. I think the Maine border is about 20 minutes. Well, it's an hour and a half ferry ride, then a 20-minute drive or 25-minute drive to the Maine border. Okay. Interesting. So you're on the coast then? Yes, very much so. That's awesome. I'm a water girl. I love being anywhere near the water and Tennessee being in Tennessee is the furthest I've ever been from the ocean in my entire life. Cause I grew up in California. Yeah. That's, that's quite a ways I'd say. Yep. <laughs> I get like a little water fix with the lakes here and then I'll just drive down to the coast when I really need a fix, but. <laughs> uh, excellent. Yeah. We're kind of right in the middle of an ocean cause we're on an Island. So I mean, yeah. Anywhere you look, it's 25 minutes or 20 minutes, and boom, you hit water. (laughs) 20 minutes from the ocean is where I lived my entire life until I moved to Tennessee. So I feel that, but not an island, not in any direction. I mean, that's like, that's extra. (laughs) You're committed then. (laughs) Yes. So you are also a prophet, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, My background in that was I went through uh, the process of being... Uh, mentored by a prophet probably between 2004 to 2008, a few years after I got saved, who really introduced me a lot to really what I'm doing a lot right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, him and uh, his leadership saw the call and gift on me, which was really on me since I got saved. I just never knew what to call it. And so they were the ones that really kind of brought the gold out of it and said, hey, you know, we see you as this seer prophet. Uh, and I was like, sure, I like it, sure. <laughs> I don't know how to gauge that because I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, And so they all laid hands on me 
a they they kind of commissioned me with with the church I was involved with at the time I was under him, and uh, he really mentored me, brought me into his family, kind of treated me like a spiritual son, uh, and really kind of ruined me into a lot of the work that I'm doing now. And so uh, that was about between 2004 2000 between 2004 2008 is when I had that kind of call publicly recognized and affirmed. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's kind of where all that that really kind of started. Interesting. That's awesome. I love that they they guided you into that and took you under their wing that way. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that th- they could recognize the call and the gift, um, but it was there's a lot of character building that had to be kind of like yeah, you, you have the the gifting of a prophet and the stance of a prophet, but there's the qualities and the characteristics that you have to carry that have to kind of be groomed. And that's where a lot of the grooming came. The anointing was there, the call was there, there was recognized, but it was the characteristics of what allows the favor of God to flow on you mm-hmm. in any type of ministry, gift, or office that really had to be worked on uh, at that time. So that's where really where a lot of the work came from, is they really brought me in and just worked with me to help develop the qualities that were needed to see uh, a substantial stewarding of that gift. Yeah, that's awesome. So Andrew is an amazing dream interpreter. I know he touched on that a little bit and we'll get to that at the end, but I just had to say that up front because he has interpreted some dreams for me and he is the most thorough and on point person that has ever interpreted a dream. And he gave me like a 15 minute explanation of my first dream with piece by piece. I was like, wow, this is amazing. (laughs) So just shout out to you there. So I want to actually go way back because I know that you have a really awesome story. Mm. So I know that you came to God kind of later in life, like really fully, but did you have any experience of God as a child? Were you introduced to Jesus? Did you have any relationship with him growing up? No, growing up, um, I wasn't raised in a Christian household. Uh, We didn't grow up going to church. I mean, we were told Bible stories as a kid. But I mean, I don't know whether that was just for instilling good morals or, you know, my, my parents both being from the United Kingdom, my dad from Scotland, my mom from England, uh, mm-hmm. it was in their culture. They went to school and in their schooling, they learned all the Bible stories as mm-hmm. information. Uh, it, was, it was history. Yeah. And so me growing up and, and my older brother, we were never really introduced to anything substantial of, of, of the kingdom of God, the gospel, you know, the, the, the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross. We didn't hear about any of it. And so growing up, uh, I never really got into anything of a God nature or a kingdom of God nature until I would probably say about three or four months before I got saved. So there wasn't really a whole lot of you know, a whole lot of traction there. And you think in a small town with about, you know, 10 plus churches on it, you would have heard something or, you know, whatever the case yeah. is. Like I can even remember getting hired up to go play at some churches because I'm a, I'm a drummer as well. And uh-huh. so they would hire me up before I was even saved to go play at these churches, which looking back now, I don't know why they would have done that because I mean, that was the farthest from God, but I mean, I mean, I guess that was their way of trying to outreach, but it, it I never grew up knowing anything about Jesus or the gospel or anything at all. So you said that your parents knew Bible stories from school. Did they share those with you, but you just didn't have a frame of reference for them? They had, um, I I can remember it to this day, the book they had that my mom would read to us, I think every, I don't know, must have been for about a year or two, roughly. And then she would read, it was kind of like the Coles Notes version of like Bible stories. So you, you hear about 
you know, Noah, and you hear about Samson, and you hear about John the Baptist, and this Jesus guy who apparently saved the world at the cross, and then you read about Paul and all that stuff, and like there were stories, you know, yeah. and they, they didn't really go anywhere because there was no follow-through, there was no conviction mm -hmm. behind it, it was just like, hey, here are some good stories to know, like, awesome, but you know, they were parked right beside a whole other series of, you know, childhood stories that we would just learn, because... Yeah. That's just what we did, but there wasn't any real substantial um, conviction or pointing out the reason why these stories happened. So there was information, but it didn't stick. There was no traction to yeah. it. Okay. That's so interesting. It's, it's interesting to think of stories from the Bible being shared just alongside nursery stories, like, like they have the same weight. <laughs> <laughs> But it's awesome that you had those elements in your life so that when you did come to God, there was a basis to look back on and go, oh, wait, I've heard of this. Yeah. And even even today, um, whenever I go and visit my parents or if we're passing through and stopping over for, for lunch or something like my mom would always say, see, all those times I read those Bible stories to you when you were a kid. Looks like they paid off. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't remember half of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. I can remember the book perfectly. I can, uh -huh. I can, I can remember what it all looked like, but I mean, as far as how it was written and some of the stuff, like I couldn't tell you what was written there, but I'm like, yeah, like I remember the book, but like nothing stuck till I actually like yeah. started reading it on my own after I got saved. So my mom always has to put that little, that little dig in there. Like, yeah, I remember when I read those stories. Like, yes. Thanks mom. Thank you. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's moms. I think it's, it's just a mom thing. Very much so. They get they get the credit if anything good comes out of their their children. Mom gets the credit. <laughs> so, you talked about how you didn't get any of the godly character in that. So, where did you kind of where did life lead you through teenage years and early adulthood? Well, so um, early on, I probably say between nine and into my late teens, I developed a really bad case of asthma. Uh, like I was on like three or four different types of inhalers, uh, all different colors, had that really attractive like arrow chamber that you attach to it, you know? Mm, okay. um, and I developed a lot of like a really severe case of, of asthma, like crippling asthma, not just like I have a cough, like I would be bent over, couldn't breathe type of thing. Um, wow. And so uh, and apparently talking to my parents, it may have been brought on by anxiety because I was a very anxious child growing up. I could cry at the drop of a dime. I'd be in tears over anything. Um, and so I never really understood much about the character and nature of God at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually went hard the other way into like the kingdom of darkness became like one of those goth kids with the long trench coats and the face paint and you know all the makeup and and all that and um you're nothing worse than like an asthmatic occultic coming after you was huffing on an inhaler right like there's just nothing threatening about that um but it wasn't until i got saved um in 2002 that in that one moment god not only just delivered me but he also healed me of asthma at that same time wow and so not only did he do a restorative work he'd actually did a physical healing work like a a, a creative miracle in my lungs and in my body where he just removed all of it and That's it wasn't amazing. so months later that i realized hey I, didn't, I don't need my inhalers anymore i'm like i think i think god healed me when i got saved and so uh the whole nature of god really hit 
really early on in my salvation where it was one of those one-stop shop cases where God yeah. just dropped and then boom, like we're off, we're going. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess we're going this way now. So I never found out much about the character and nature of God. I can remember going to school even with Christian friends of mine mm-hmm. um, that you know were the ones that got me into the church that until that point, I hadn't heard a peep about anything, about mm-hmm. Christianity, the Bible, God, nothing. So it was really one of those experiential moments of, okay, like, I just got, I just met the Lord mm-hmm. and apparently this is the outcome. So I, okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So it was really like a Saul to Paul moment where everything changed in that. Yeah. And it was, it was one of those, I thought everyone would go through that. I thought, I thought this is kind of like everyone's introduction to the Lord that they had these like massive convictional encounters where the Lord showed up and just, moved and then transitions you from darkness to light like it says in Ephesians 5 8 you were once darkness so well, I thought this was normal yeah apparently it wasn't <laughs> so I'm trying to describe it to people and people are like like in the church that I got saved at in this youth group and they're like I'm sorry what happened and I'm like oh so this isn't oh okay so like how am I supposed to explain this if you guys don't know I'm like aren't you guys supposed to be helping me out with this right. so it was real everything happened so condensed and so quickly um that the youth pastor was like oh gracious like we actually have to disciple this guy like now like he's getting stuff now so um yeah it was really quick as a one-stop shop to the point of like i was i i didn't even have like a change of clothes uh i would go back to school with my little like tiny bible that i had from that from my grandparents house holding these bible studies in my school with like you know, 25 30 kids showing up like I'm still got my my goth apparel on. I got like, demons on my shirts, and like, I got all the chains down my pants. And because I didn't have any other clothes, and I, I was in high school, I couldn't afford it. Yeah. But it was one of those things that it happened so quickly. Like I literally had no time to change. It was just literally from light to dark. Wow. Um, and so you know, and I was just compelled to preach. But yeah. Until that time, God was just some fictitious guy up in the clouds that if you know, the, the role of the dice. If he liked you, he liked you. If he didn't, he didn't. Wow. So you got pulled into the goth stuff. What kind of led you into that? So really it was, so my mom and my dad were really good at giving us, giving us all the, the different flavors of life that we wanted to experience in music and art and uh, education, whatever we wanted to have a taste of they did everything they could to make sure that we had all availability to experience life at its fullest. Mm-hmm. Um, and music was a big thing in our family. Um, and so, you know, my mom was introducing me to all like the British pop kind of stuff, which I was like, eh, eh. And, but then my dad was introducing me to stuff that was a little bit heavier, a little bit darker, you know, uh, the Ozzy Osbourne, the Led yeah. Zeppelins, all that kind of stuff. But I was like, oh, that doesn't really affect me a whole, whole lot. Um, and then I got into music uh as a drummer and started playing in a couple bands and this i can remember the bass player in the band i was in introduced me to a couple of these groups now i was like oh wow like that's really heavy and really good like i like that mm-hmm. and the heavier the music got the darker it got uh the darker the music got you know the more dark i got where i just started falling in love with everything that was dark i, I loved all the occult stuff i loved yeah. all the demonic looking things i loved it because 
it it attracted a piece of me that I was like, hey, like this is something I actually want to emulate. Like I want to put this in front of my ears. I want to put it in front of my eyes. I want to see it. I want to breathe it. I want to inhale it. I want to do everything I can to get this culture of darkness in me because it was sustaining. Wow. Um, I was one of those kids that like there was no white on my wall. There was just band posters everywhere, cutouts, you name it, it was there. And I actually used to sleep backwards on my bed. We had a slanted wall in uh, in, in my bedroom. Uh-huh. And I would sleep backwards and because there's a, a, a musician I loved and he, was, he had a lot of the gothic apparel. And he would be the last thing I saw when I went to bed and he'd be the first thing I saw when I woke up. So I was constantly putting that culture in my gaze because that was becoming my identity and no one bothered mm-hmm. me about it. So the darker that got, I was getting into like the crystals and getting into like minor incantations and, you know, just all that dark stuff that was just, it was, it was just an arm's reach away. And so mm-hmm. no one really stopped me from going into it. And the Christians at my school weren't telling me there's anything wrong with it. My, it wasn't, I wasn't harming anyone. So why not yeah. just get involved with it? Interesting. So you were involved in that stuff. About how long did that last? Oh, jeepers. Um, I think my my earliest recollection of actually practicing anything occultic would have been probably grade seven or grade eight. I think where I can actually definitively say, like, this is when I really started, like, really getting into, oh, I love, like, I love the kingdom of darkness. Like, I love mm-hmm. it to the point where I'd be, like, be walking down the school hallway telling friends of mine, like, hey, you know, like, Satan really loves you and, like, we're going to, like, he really wants you in his kingdom. And I think, like, I can remember friends telling me, like, dude, you got to cut that stuff out. You got to cut that wow. stuff out real quick. You know, and I always thought I'd just get a rise out of people, you know. So, you know, if I don't believe in God, how could you believe in Satan, right? But because the darkness is so filling me, you're going to pour out what you pour in. And so I can remember, I can remember, I, I can actually remember the girl uh, herself, uh, a friend of mine I grew up with. And mm-hmm. I can actually remember telling her, like, hey, like, Satan really loves you, you know that. And she turned around and she's like, dude, stop. Stop it. Like, you're freaking me out. Cut it out. So yeah, I can remember, yeah, it was about seven or a grade seven or eight where I can, I can honestly say I can remember conversations having yeah. that type of demonic type of love for the kingdom of darkness. Wow. It's so interesting because a lot of people get pulled into occultic stuff, but it mm. can be so many different reasons including a lot of prophetic people that have a gifting and they just don't know where to put it because the church that they're in doesn't allow for it or talk about it mm. but i think this is the first time i've actually heard someone say that i loved the darkness and i like told everybody about it you know so wow yeah Let's talk I, about a drastic shift well i mean the thing is is that you know that's just that's just and that's my personality if i'm in something i'm in it you know, um, even to this day, uh, if, if I'm going to have a cup of coffee, you know, I'm going to have a pot of coffee. If, uh, you know, I'm not going to eat half of something, I'm going to eat the whole of something. My wife always jokes when we first got married that, you know, leftovers were not a thing in our household because <laughs> we put it in the fridge and I was like, hey, cool, that's there. Done, right? I mean, it's not like, it's not that bad, but I was either in or I was out. There was no mid road with me. Yeah. Um, and so when I got, into the kingdom of darkness, I just invested my entire life wow. into it. Like that's, and I, I was in it and you couldn't get me out of it. Even if I was dead wrong, there was no way my family or my brother or anyone could ever say, well, this is really a bad idea. You should get out of it. Nope. Not going to wow. do it. 
So in I go. I think it's so interesting too that you say you went to sleep looking at that one artist every night and woke up looking at it because it's the things you meditate on, right? Yeah, absolutely. So when did that shift? Like what was, okay, I guess first, how old were you when you came to Jesus? But then I have so many other questions. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would would probably have to say, so it was in January. It was around January, 2022. So I was probably 16 or 17. Um, 2002? Yeah, 2002. Yeah. Yeah. So about halfway through my graduating year is, is when I got, is when I got saved. Um, and I got saved by a, a Baptist friend of mine who became slightly concerned with my walk. Finally, someone looked and said, I don't think this guy's okay. Uh, which I, which right? I wasn't. Um, and so they started harassing me to come down to this church that was, and it wasn't even her church that she went to. She's like, hey, we're, we go to this youth group on like Thursday yeah. nights. And I was like, sorry, I can't. My band practices on Thursday nights, so I can't. I'm out. I'm like, cool. I'm done. Yeah. Um, and so she very politely antagonized me for a while uh, to come down and to this church. And I was like, look, okay, look, just shut you up. Okay, let's 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 go down and check out this this church thing. And of yeah. course, it was literally one of the worst things I think I'd ever been to. Um, <laughs> like, the, it had that like really like quintessential Pentecostal like green ripped up carpet in like this church basement. Um, oh yeah, all the kids were like half of them were probably like they'd never been out in culture before. So like me coming down looking the way that I was was like oh my goodness like the goth kids here. <laughs> You know, I didn't wear my, I didn't wear like all the face paint all the time because it was super expensive and you could only get it in Halloween. So I stocked up, but you know, these things happen, Mm -hmm. but I did what I could, Um, you know, but I went down to this church, this church basement where they're having their youth group and the music was terrible and hokey. And I'm like, I don't like, I feel so uncomfortable just because this is bad. Not that like, not that the message was bad or I felt out of place. It just, it was just set up really hokey. And I was like, man, like, really? Like, this is what you invited me to. So I uh, met the youth pastor. He's a really good guy. Uh, we actually became friends after I got saved. Uh, but yeah, the, like the day after Friday, we were in chemistry. And she was like, hey, like, how did you think of that youth group? And I was like, don't ever invite me to that again. Like, don't, <laughs> don't ever. Like, I, I just, I, I won't. I won't. Uh, but sure enough, the shock value I was getting was like, hey, like these kids think I'm going to eat them. So I might as well just go down and just like, freak them out a little bit so oh every time you i had a chance at the youth group yeah yeah they were all like man like this kid's like freaky like we'd like why why is he here um and my friend was like hey like well you know whatever you can come just come on down and i got to go to youth pass for a little bit he'd stop off and do school visits and we'd hang out and have lunch they'd kind of see him there hey hey do you know this guy's whatever um and then i just kept on going back every chance i could for some weird reason i was like yeah, i just gotta go back to this church and so uh and so when i started going like all the other like little you know minionites kept on coming down too. all the guys with the you know the trench coats and the younger kids that were all in that kind of you know gothic type of style and all the gear on their faces and chains all over the place so they some of them started coming down too and uh 
after a while, it was one service, and I started getting that tight feeling in my chest. I'm like, oh, great, I'm having an asthma attack. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm in my, you know, 14 trench coat pockets. I've got no inhaler. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Oh my gosh. And so and then I just start to cry. I just start to just, and not like like teary cry, like, like weep cry, like ugly cry. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't have any idea what is going on right now. Like I was, a, like I was, like I was into the occult stuff. Like I'm all about incantations and now I'm getting freaked out. This is not good. Mm-hmm. So, and then of course, like every good Pentecostal, you know, youth group, you go up and what do you do? All these kids start laying hands on me and they're praying. And I'm like, I have no clue what's going on. I'm so like, I'm just in pain. I got tightness in my chest. Youth pastors over me now with this big, huge Bible out, and he's going off in some kind of weird language that I've never heard before, which is tongues, obviously. Um, and it was like everything just kind of faded to black. You see those old 50 movies that when, when they come up to do these monologues, and everything in the background just kind of fades out. Yeah. Well, everything just kind of went to like white noise. And what I can say is the 15 second conversation that takes me half an hour to explain. The Holy Spirit just said, hey, and I said, hey, I'm assuming you are the Lord because I'm in church and I don't know what's going on, but I feel like I'm going to die. So whatever this is, whatever's going on, could you just, could we get on with this, please? (laughs) And so it wasn't exactly word for word, but that was like, like, I don't have, like, I'm not breathing right now. I'm having this. And he's like, oh, that pain in your chest. That's not an asthma attack. That's me working on your heart because you're so full of, you know, anger and jealousy and anxiety. He's like, I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm like, I don't care what you do. I just, I'm crying. I've got people like handing my back like crazy. I've got this guy going, this unknown. Like I have zero grid for what's going on. Just whatever you need to do, God, just do it. And so everyone kind of subsided. The tension went and God's like, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a heart that goes after me. And all this kind of like, I could feel like this washing happening over me. It's hard to explain, but like an internal bath was going on. And I was like, cool, awesome. Everyone kind of like came to, and then I just sat down and everyone's kind of like, well, what do we do with them now? And I'm like, I don't even know what that was. Yeah. And so I don't even remember going through the sinner's prayer. I don't even remember it. I don't even, I don't even think at any point in time anyone led me through it. I just <laughs> said, okay, well, I guess I believe in God now. So where's my Bible? Let's go. And they sent some to make matters worse. And I know I'm, I'm rambling a bit here, but it, this is, this is a good point where they sent this youth leader over to me, poor kid. Yeah. And he's like, hey, brother, do you know what happened to you tonight? I said, yeah. I said, the Lord told me. And so I just told him what happened. He kind of had this weird, like, deer and headlight kind of look. And I was like, well, like, don't you all go through? Like, isn't this, like, the thing you guys all go through? And he's like, <laughs> no. Nope. And I'm like, okay, I have so many questions. I have so many questions right now. <laughs> Uh, and it was really working out with the youth pastor what really happened. And then I just grabbed a Bible, started going to church. Wow. The rest is history. So you described what it felt like while it was happening. What did mm. it feel like right afterward? So it's kind of like, I want to say there was a lot of hype because people were praying into me getting saved, which was great. And I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be here if they weren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only recollection that I really could describe it as is there was just, if you think of a, a massive rainstorm hitting a lake and that moment where the rain stops and the clouds kind of dissipate and the sun kind of shines through and there's this really kind of like awe-inspiring like calm that hits the water. Yeah. That's what it was like. It just, everything just felt right and peaceful 
and at home. And I was like, okay, cool. Awesome. I guess I'm a Christian now. And there was no like inner turmoil or inner like we're consoling. I was like, okay, cool. Like I had my experience. I need to figure out what happened because apparently this is not common. Wow. Someone tell me what's going on because I don't know what to do next. And so that's, that's really where my question started. And the pain stopped, I'm assuming, after you went oh, through that. The pain stopped, everything stopped, but my head was just so full of like, what was that? What was <laughs> someone tell me? And it probably took me a good six months to flush out really what had happened and taken place because of all the residual progression of that revelation that kind of came out after a time, which led me to understanding the gifting and calling that I had. So yeah. looking back, if, if I could talk to myself, 20 some years ago but hey man so this is what's going to happen just you know just but at the time i had zero grit for any of it and no one yeah. can really explain what had happened wow so even though they prayed in tongues and all of that they still had no grid to explain it to you really yeah because it's kind of like when the dog's chasing the car and the car stops what does the dog do oh the thing i've been waiting to happen happened yeah now what? And it, it kind of caught people <laughs> off guard because they weren't expecting such a, at least I wasn't, no one was expecting such a heavy transition of just like right. someone so dark to be hit so just like intensely and just receiving like, okay, cool. Now what do I do? What do, what do I do next? And, I'm, and yeah. it happened to other members of, of the congregation uh, for, for sure it did. Um, but to, to something that people watched the progression of God, changing someone's heart um into hungering after okay what just happened it was like oh yeah. we weren't i don't think we were ready for this <laughs> and so and i wasn't ready for it probably looking back no one really was yeah um but the youth pastor who was a phenomenal man uh still is um he he just grabbed me right at the right time and just grabbed me and pulled me in and just started working with me so wow so was it him working with you that kind of brought all the revelation or was it a Holy Spirit process? Um, I would probably say that he was the diving board that got me into the pool of working out revelation. Because um, a lot of a lot of the first two years of my Christian walk was trial and error. Like, hey, yeah. the Bible says if you lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Well, no one's really doing that. Okay. I'm going to go on the street and try this because either mm -hmm. I'm in or I'm out. So either I'm going to believe this thing and there'll be evidence or there won't be because I'm not going to just, you know, half-heartedly follow an experience that I had. So, okay, Jesus, yeah. your, your yeah. red letters say, I lay hands on the sick, they recover. If I feel like I was in darkness, there must be other people in darkness that need the same kind of message that I got. So that must mean that this is what the Bible calls being delivered from devils. Okay, well, I'll go try that. And lo and behold, you go hang out in the streets for a while. You find enough heart in people, and people start getting healed, and people start getting saved, and people start getting delivered it, to whatever degree that was and what we called it, wow. because I didn't know what to call it. I was just going out telling people about Jesus. And so a lot of the revelation came from, number one, just trial and error. And if the mm -hmm. Bible says these things will take place, well, then those things will take place. And so I didn't yeah. question it. Because I never asked for any of this to begin with. It was just kind of like right. stepping on a rake. So, okay, if this is the way you say for me to go, I'll go. But I'm fine now. So let's let's go. And so my youth path was kind of like the rubber boundaries on bumper cars. 
go too far one way, thump too far. Okay, I'll come back on track. Went too far the other way, thump. Okay, come back. And so he was he was really good for setting up boundaries, but he left about a year, just over a yeah, just over a year after he got saved because he went back to to help his father's church back in Newfoundland. But the time we had together, it was like he was a real good boundary for me. Like, hey man, look, the only way you're gonna learn more about Jesus is reading the Word. So mm-hmm. I would go read the words on what Jesus had in red letters that applied to me. I said, that's what I'm going to go do. So off we go. That's amazing. You're not kidding about just diving into something when you're there. But I just, that's truly amazing that you're like, oh, we're supposed to lay. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Especially when you had no grid for it. And, you know, it's just like, okay, this is what it says. Let's try. And the fact that you experienced the healing because the faith was there is just incredible well i had well number one i had no grid for saying re- any reason why it couldn't work because right. i was i was the i was the byproduct of no faith getting healed so now that i have faith and i can teach faith i can help people get healed yeah. um i had no grid for deliverance because i didn't and apparently what i went through was like a form of deliverance yeah so i want other people to experience that Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't I go preach the gospel to whoever wants to? So why would I hide this? And yeah. either one, Jesus is a liar, or two, his words are true. There's no middle ground. You can't marry right. the two. So either he's a complete lunacy liar who is made up and false, or he's real and he's alive and he's powerful. Well, I, I've experienced that he is alive and powerful. And his word says that his works will follow those that believe. So I believe so let's go do his works. And there was there was no convincing me. I was already convinced. You didn't have to try and give me a three-minute sermon to kind of like, all right, this is what we're going to do. I said, no, like this, this, this book tells me what I need to do. So yeah. I'm going to live by this book, and I'm going to go home. I'm going to study it six hours a day if I can, you know, which is kind of what I did. You know what I love about that so much is that people are always so concerned. Well, what if I don't do it right? And, you know, this and that. And you're like, it says this. I'm going to do this. Yeah, and to be honest, there's whether I was doing things right or I wasn't, because probably some things I wasn't doing right. <laughs> if I saw myself then, like or now as I did back then, I probably cringe. Like, dude, what are you doing? Stop that, man. <laughs> um, well, we'll keep going, but maybe try this way instead of you know. Right. Um, but yeah, I, whether or not it was right or it was wrong, or what you know, regardless, um, that that wasn't that's what my life was. Was, and he honored the faith. Yeah, like uh, like raw transparency. God can do a lot more with an open vessel than a rebellious one. Absolutely. You know? And I learned very early on, I've got no right to be rebellious against a God I wasn't looking for, but plucked me. So why mm-hmm. would I fight against that? You know, mm. um, you know. and it was shortly after that that I said, I should probably get some actual like, schooling for this, I guess. Um, I should probably learn some stuff. And so I started taking vocational Bible school, you know, and I did like two years, three years of school plus an internship in like two years because I could do a correspondence. Our church was offering it. So Mm -hmm. on top of being involved with the local church, uh, you know, and doing, uh, you know, Bible school part-time, well, full-time really. But um, outside of all that, I would just go home and read or I would go hit the streets or do any, anything the church was doing or people that wanted to grow. I was just, I was there. I was invested and I was sold. Like you didn't have, you couldn't move me off of it and you couldn't convince me otherwise. So, yeah, that's amazing. I, I believe that we 
probably overcomplicate things a lot as people that have been in the faith for a long time. Not that there aren't correct ways. Of course there are. And there's always room for growth. But that's what strikes me so much. It's like you said, he can do so much with a raw vessel that just believes. Mm. And that that's... Can, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that we can just overcomplicate it beyond that sometimes, worrying about the details. Yeah, and that's that's the beautiful thing about Hebrews chapter 6. It says that God willing, he'll, he'll progress us mm -hmm. uh, to more mature things in his time. But until then, if you still need to stay in the fundamentals, stay in the fundamentals constantly yeah. grow but god's grace is going to cover you whether you're in the fundamentals or you're not so if you're still nailing the fundamentals of the faith that's that's okay god will move you into what you need to be moved into at the right time as long as you're progressing and so for me i didn't care if i was in the shallow end or the deep end or the middle end just the fact i was in the pool i was fine mm -hmm. i didn't care where I, you can even put me in the kiddie pool and i would have been fine and so you're right we do overcomplicate things um, and you know, I didn't get to share any of that churchy stigma right. of, you know, I, I never, I didn't, I didn't grow up in Sunday school. I didn't grow up in like, I wasn't a pew crawler. I wasn't born in the church. I had no yeah. Christian family. You know, I had, I had nothing to gauge being lukewarm or red hot. I, I just kind of was, yeah. you know? And so wherever I was, I just, stayed where I was and did what I did until God needed me to do something else. And then we just went that way. That's amazing. And just so awesome, truly awesome, the way God grabbed hold of you. And even that you had no reference point because it just, it just shows the power of God, like the sovereign power of God to just bring that fire from nothing, you know? And this is where we really have to see that when you are, when you're praying for loved ones or you're praying for unsaved friends or you're praying for someone that might be in a hard spot that you're like in in, in the natural dude like this this is a no hope situation. I mean, I was a no hope situation. Like I had I had no reason for anyone to stop and do any praying for me whatsoever. I, I had nothing. I had nothing to yeah. offer anyone. I had nothing more than than just what musical talent I had and my desire and love for everything dark uh, and demonic. That's all I could offer people. So so when you when you think that your prayers aren't going anywhere, I am the poster child of God hears the consistent prayers, right? James 5 tells us the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much power in its proper season. Yes. And so the testament isn't, wow, look at God. It's look at the people that decide to say, that guy's got gold in him. So yeah. whatever that is, we have to go after that gold because we can't have that type of that type of desire be missed in the kingdom of God. And that's when I got saved. I had people come north to me saying, hey, listen, we walked by your house every band practice and we stopped and we prayed outside your home for you to get wow. saved. No one told me about it until afterwards. So people are like, wow. This is a crazy story. I'm like, man, we had people walk by my house on the corner, stop and pray. That's even weirder. <laughs> like, you, like this, this, this group. The, I think they had like, like a summer, like women's like walk that they did every every night, and it just happened to be yeah. on a Thursday. And this group of women would walk right by our house in our middle of band practice when we're singing all this terrible demonic six 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 loving, you know, the darkness type of music. And they would stop and pray. And they would say, these, 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 these guys have to get saved. These guys have to come into the kingdom. 
they weren't chasing us down. They weren't making complaints about us. They weren't sharpening their pitchforks and torches. It was, hey, these people need to get saved. So whatever they're doing, that's awesome, but we need to pray. And that's the most important thing is you never think God doesn't hear a prayer that you put up on behalf of someone who doesn't know the Lord. That's, yeah. that's my testimony is that it's not the fact that God did a good work because he's still doing a good work. It's not done yet. But right. people stopped and said, we need to interrupt hell for heaven right now. Oh, amen. <laughs> we, we, need to, we need to physically and mentally and emotionally interject everything in our being and stop our day and say, this is not good. These souls need to come into your kingdom. That's mm. my testimony. Someone said yes. that guy is worth fighting for and contending for. Amen. And God thinks every person is worth fighting for and contending for. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that is just so incredible to me about Jesus is even if it was only one person that needed to be saved, he went to the cross for each person Yeah, because God loved each person that much. And when mm-hmm. someone partners with the Lord in that way and says, no, what's happening there is not right. I, they need to come into the kingdom. You know, it's like partnering with the very heart of God. And there's so much power in that so much more than anyone can really even comprehend or imagine. Yep. It's true. So I have a couple of questions. (laughs) I'd imagine. (laughs) Um, First off, you heard God talk to you in that moment. So that Mm. was the radical encounter moment. Mm. Had you ever heard God before and just not known it was God? Um, So number one, (laughs) <laughs> go to teacher mode for a second. It, it, it's a really interesting phrase when you think about it, you know, God speaking or the Holy Spirit speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't audible. I mean, and th- I think that's a big misconception when we hear some of these crazy testimonies is that people, well, well, the Holy Spirit starts speaking. Well, what did he sound like? Well, it's not a, it's not a vocalized communication. It's an inward unction, right? It's an inward conviction where, you know, Romans 8 says that our spirits confirm with the Holy Spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. So human, you know, mankind, we have a spirit, whether it is condemned and bound by darkness or whether it is made alive in Christ. It's the spirit that God has put in us that communes with the Holy Spirit, confirming we are sons and daughters. Yes. So when the Holy Spirit started to speak, he was speaking to what he was liberating. Mm-hmm. The Genesis we are going to make man in our image, not the body of man, the essence of man. Right. And so when Jesus was bringing me to, to, you know, to, to life, you know, through the washing of, of the waters of regeneration, Titus three, five talks about the Holy spirit saw what was coming alive and said, I'm going to breathe life into this and came in and started working and cleaning house, started yeah. renewing, right? Romans eight eleven. the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in us and quickens our body to life. And that's probably, without a shadow of a doubt, the reason why I got healed is because the Holy Spirit was taking residence and started yes. speaking to me of what he was doing. Yeah, I am going to do this in you. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's fine. And so, no, I didn't have a reference, but I was very open to the spirit realm because yeah. of all the occultic stuff I was doing and all the right. dark and demonic stuff I was I was getting involved with and some of like the the, not that I did hard drugs, but, you know, hallucinogenics that, you know, mm-hmm. made you, open to a lot of things right and so i was very attuned to being commuting with the kingdom of darkness so listening to us spirit was fine no problem 
you know, that was, that was great. But being told by the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm going to do a work in you. I yeah. mean, really, I had no way to say no, because number one, I physically couldn't get out of the room. So I was bombarded <laughs> by a bunch of kids. Yeah. Secondly, I thought I was having an asthma attack, so I didn't want to move because I would have probably been hospitalized. So, yeah. which neither would have happened, obviously. But yeah, the Holy Spirit started speaking because when you yield to him, and just, just like what you said, we complicate things so much. And mm-hmm. people worry about, well, I can't hear, I can't hear from from God. Trust me, God needs you to hear. You he, you will hear, or you will see, or you will experience, or you yeah. whatever. God is not a God of hide and seek. He's a God that wants to be found. Yes. He's a God that loves his people to find him. Either they're in a walk towards him or away from, away from him. The Lord still wants and desires communication yeah. with his creation. And so when you're in that moment of receiving, that's when the Holy Spirit starts to speak, whether he's reinforcing a good work or he's cleaning up someone that had zero work in him. Right. That's when the Holy Spirit starts to take residence. And that's when you just learn to lean into that work. And so, yeah, I had no reference for the Holy Spirit, <laughs> but I was well attuned with communing with other spirits. And so mm-hmm. defaulting to that was just like, I'm in, I'm in with a force that's more important than me right now. So whatever it's got to be, it has to be. Yeah. Wow. So after that experience, did you start hearing the voice of God a lot more as you progressed and grew and had a revelation? So this this kind of leads into a little bit more of the gifting and mm-hmm. the office that I kind of got brought into in 2004. Yeah. I, I will say that I spent and I still spend ridiculous amounts of hours in scripture. There's There's not a day that goes by that I'm not... Actually, I don't even think there's a minute that goes by that I'm not either rehearsing something or orderly reviewing a teaching moment or something. Like my wife walked in, we just moved into the new home, and my wife walked in from, I don't know what we were doing. I think we were picking up some paint or something for some furniture that we're, we're kind of uh, repainting. And she walked in, mm-hmm. and she turned around and kind of caught me mid-sentence of me just just rehearsing some teaching stuff. And she's like, you go to like, yeah, I'm just rehearsing. She's like, for what? I said, just because, <laughs> right? Like, and like my, my pastor and I always talk about it. Like, like, we're just, we're constantly going over things. Right. And so the one thing I did do is I studied the word day and night. Um, yeah. I got into it. Um, you know, obviously doing work in church is great. Going to all the events is great. Doing all the things is great. But if you're not, blocking out time to study and read scripture that's where god speaks a hundred percent all the time accurately and that's yeah. where you could always read a hundred percent accurately not that god ever speaks inaccurate but sometimes when we're waiting for a revelation to take hold if our, our our human nature can kind of twist that if we're not careful which is why yes. we're consecrated but when you're reading scripture when you're reading the written word it actually prompts you and puts you in a position to receive revelation to any degree which is really when a lot of the dreams started happening Mm -hmm. um probably even before i got called as a prophet very early on um you know i was just the guy that got radically saved and was doing street work and seeing miracles awesome cool well now god's speaking through dreams i guess and i don't even think the guys i got saved with had any grid for that i don't know how they worked i don't i started talking about it and they're like okay that's cool but then they're like, dude, I think you're, 
I think you're becoming like too much of a Christian. I think you're like, <laughs> you're going in a bit far. It's kind of like, yeah, but you, you're the guys that prayed for me though, right? Like mm-hmm. this stuff you were, you were wanting. So there was this whole exploration of, okay, there's not just the word that the Holy Spirit uses. He actually uses real time revelation through means of his gifts. Yeah. Right. But I would probably say a lot of it started with just reading scripture. Mm-hmm. The Rhema word. The word. Yeah. I went without the Bible for 16, 17 years. Why would I lose any time with it now? Get me into this thing. Let's go. Yeah. Like, let's go. And I love that the word is living and active. So there's new revelation in it always mm-hmm. because it is alive. It's not just for that time. It's alive now yeah. to bring new revelation. So, okay. Another question going back and then I'm going to kind of move forward. When, when you had that radical encounter, you obviously had your walls plastered with all of that stuff. You said you didn't have time to really change your clothes or anything like that. But when you got home, did you tear all that stuff down and stop listening to that music? Yeah. um, Tearing the posters down was easy because Mm -hmm. it it was just easy. Um, but my music collection was probably the one thing that I struggled with the most to get rid of, you know, drugs, not an issue, alcohol. I didn't really like it when I was drinking anyway. So it was no real big loss. Social groups didn't have any, didn't care about it. Social status didn't care about it. You know, music. Great. I just changed my genre. It was fine. Mm -hmm. I, I had no issue with it, but my music was my identity. That was mm. the thing that was like, and the Lord pushed me for, I'd probably say, and I would probably say a good three to four or five months. Like, dude, you like, you have to get rid of that stuff. And so <laughs> I can remember the day I got rid of all my music and I went and bought a cake because I just needed something to console me. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I walked into like my, my pastor's house and I was like, if I don't give these CDs to you, I'm going to keep them and justify keeping them. And I can't, and I'm going to go home and eat this cake. Cause I feel terrible right now. Like this is, this is so bad. <laughs> and I know that's not right, but that's what I did. I literally bought the cake and I showed the pastor's daughter. She's like, why do you buy a cake? I'm like, I've given up a loved one today. And I gave all my CDs away. Um, you know, but uh, I can remember I was doing my Bible school at the church correspondence. And my pastor came to the door. And just kind of stood there smiling at me. And I'm like, at this point in time, being reprimanded for doing things in zeal and not wisdom was getting to be quite a common thing with me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I regret nothing, but I learned a lot. Uh Um, And he kind of sat, it was really like, almost like a little kid who's going to say something he probably shouldn't say. And he looked at me and I was like, what? He's like, dude, I just really thank you that you're just a like you are a genuine man of God, whatever mm. you're doing, whatever God's doing in you, just keep doing that. And I was like, mm. okay. Not knowing my parents had called, like not like an hour or two before that and bawled him out. Cause they thought I was in a cult. Cause I ripped all the posters <laughs> off my wall. I throw all my own music away. You know, oh, my parents were super concerned and rightly so. When you see your kid yeah. have a hard 180 going in a different direction, it's like, Hey, what are you guys doing to my son? And he, I guess my mom kind of like, my, my parents kind of like ragged him out a little bit for it. And my pastor was like, I like what's going on here. But like, cool, awesome, high five, let's go. Can I get back to my school now? So there was a lot of that that took place 
where God had to really reposition my identity. He mm-hmm. really had to reposition, um, you know, my character, which is always ongoing. But, oh, yeah. But it was so apparent on both sides that both were kind of like, is he too reckless? Is he too much of a Christian? Um, all he does is lock himself in his room and study and read. That's all he does. And my parents are like, yeah, I know. I don't know because I'm not a reader. I don't like reading. I think reading is like reading is what they should give people when they're caught shoplifting. That's like, hilarious. Hey, you you should go read the entire you know like collection of like Charles Dickens or something. Like that's your punishment for shoplifting. I was never a reader. I despised recreational reading, but I will read this book to sun up to sundown day after day after day. I can't get enough of it, but to read recreationally, I never did. All my family were readers, you know? And so there was this whole big debacle with my family. Like, I think you're getting too, I think you're getting too involved. And some of my church friends like, dude, like you're making some hard choices right now that like we love, but like, you good? Like, like, you're, <laughs> like you're 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 switching things. Like like you're you're like if there was a cot downstairs for you to sleep in, you 100% would be there. I was like, yeah, could we make that happen? Let's go. <laughs> That's so amazing. So, you talked about the music being like your identity. Did you stop listening to it, but you just had trouble getting rid of it? So, um, and being... I guess how long did it take to? until you did actually give it up so i being (laughs) being in the church and having such a drastic pull from really dark heavy like technical serious music let's say serious where like it's got like our time signatures and you've got Mm -hmm. different breaks and they're like 17 minute songs you got to memorizing it you know from that coming into a culture where like you're playing like four to five minute songs that are like you know, I mean, it's contemporary Christian music, which is fine. But I said to myself, like, Jesus, like, I love you, man. But like, I cannot be a casting crowns guy for the rest of my life. I just, I can't do it. I can't, I, I love you, but Lord, like, I, like, <clears throat> like, I, I just can't, I, I can't do this. So a friend of mine <clears throat> said, Hey man, look, the music that you're into, it's not good. I said, I know, but I've got nothing now. <laughs> like, man, I got nothing. Yeah. And so he took me up to this Christian bookstore up in the, the next city over. Um, and brought me to like the rock section of like Christian music. And I found some outlets that were heavy enough, but were God fearing. Yeah. Uh, that I it made the transition of, okay, it's not, God doesn't care so much about a genre as what he does your heart. Right. right. So if it's scripture and it's God based and it's based out of edifying and, and bringing, bring glory to God, why wouldn't, why wouldn't I listen to that? And I'm like, I, I love, I love worship music. I love worship music. It's great. I play it. My, my wife is a phenomenal worship leader. We've got, you know, guest musicians all over the place. We've got to play with. It's awesome. I love it. But who I am and my identity was stripped away when I got saved because I poured so much life into it. But what I have to remember is that if God's going to change the way that my heart is, he's not just going to leave that vacant. Right. You want me to steward it well, but the music didn't just become my identity, it became a part of my ministry. Right. Where I get to tell people, hey, you gotta get rid of that trash music because it's gonna corrupt you. I am mm-hmm. living proof of that. And mm-hmm. so he's actually allowed me to take this testimony of, you know, um God changing not just a a music genre, but 
changing the heart of the reason how I approach music. Like, there's even some Christian music albums that I'll pick up. I'm like, you know what, man, that's good and all, but I don't think I want to even listen to that. Like, I'm not going to entertain that because it's the music industry. Yeah. Right? Let's just be honest right. about it. But the identity now wasn't I'm wrapped up in my music. That's who I am. It's I want to use every part of me to give glory to God, but it has to be authentic yeah. with me. And so God yeah. honored what I gave up, but also replaced it with something that was glorifying him in the process. So that's if, so good. If I had to have given that music up, that was that was going to be the one thing that would have tripped me up. If there was any way to to make a stronghold come back into mm-hmm. my life, it would have been through the music I had for sure. He's so good to redeem those things. Yeah, yeah. he really is. And 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 we we often forget that he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> you know? and he made us, so he made that part of you that loved that music and even the technical side of it, you know, yeah. but. He wanted it to be for his glory. So he redeemed that piece of you that he created to be what it was meant to be all along. Yeah. And like shortly after that, some of the guys I used to listen to, they're now saved. Some of the bands I got, I I listened to some of the members where I actually got saved and started side projects. So I'm like, yes, thank you. So now I can actually follow them and they're all God fearing. So I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. So did you pray for them? I obviously pray for hundred percent. I prayed for them. Yeah. Uh, you're like, I mean, please get saved. Please like, get saved. I love what you're doing, but I can't listen to it guys. If you could just switch your heart, <laughs> switch your lifestyle, I will financially pour into you like no one's business. <laughs> <laughs> so Andrew Duncan is one of the reasons that so-and-so got <laughs> saved. I wouldn't go that far. It's probably, but my, my prayers would probably be in the list whenever, whenever that happens. Yeah. So. <laughs> love it. Such a random question. What kind of cake did you get that day? It was a Black Forest cake. See, I knew you'd remember. Black Forest cake. And I can remember the the, the cherries looked exquisite on top. I was like, that is going to be delicious when I eat it. I probably it's, shouldn't have not repented afterwards. but <laughs> It sounds really good right now. So. <laughs> so after that process, you're going through all of this. Did your family get saved because of you and... And how about some of the, no? I'm still to this day, uh, the only boarding and believer in my immediate family. So um, my parents are some of my biggest supporters. They're some of my biggest fans. Uh, They've seen the work that I've done. They've seen the work that my wife does. My brother's the same thing. We've had good, great conversations, you know, around theology and salvation and their upbringing and all of this stuff and forgiveness. But to this day, for this moment in time, in what are we, July 8th, 2022, I'm at this moment in time, only again, believer in my immediate family. Yeah. And, and same with my wife as well. Okay. So you're both the forerunners of your family. Yep. And we're both the youngest as well. Interesting. My family is a little bit different, but there are similar dynamics. My family is believers, but they weren't really attending church. They'd kind of fallen away. My brothers definitely were pulled in a different direction, Mm. but I started going and singing in church and like through my love of God, I did not have a radical encounter like you. Mine was definitely like I knew God when I was a kid Mm. and then he consecrated me over time. (laughs) Well, I mean, even, even my wife's uh, like, like my mother and father-in-law, they would be like, they would be traditional like Catholic Christians. So mm-hmm. they, they did raise my wife in a bit more understanding of 
the discipline of church and the right. good things you can get out of the Bible reading. Um, and so they actually played a lot more of an influential role in my wife's development than my family did mine. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I've gotten more support and love and appreciation and respect from my family than some believers that I have met in my life up to this point. So whatever work God is doing in them, it oh, might yeah. be a slow burn, but, you know, there is a moment in time where God is going to allow them to see the choice that they get to make. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. So uh, whether it happens in five minutes or another five years or another 15 years, mm -hmm. um, my family is definitely being brought up before the courts of heaven. You know, yes. because they, they get to, to witness and be a part of investing into what God is doing in me. And so, you know, the law of sowing and reaping is still in effect. So what, whatever good that God has going in their hearts, we can spring into that, that God gives us more opportunities to pray and share mm -hmm. for them to be released and to give their lives over to, to, uh, to, to the cause of Jesus. So, yeah. Well, and there's that verse about your faith and belief covering your family. Yep. It's God true. honors honors family and your yep. prayer for family. I mean, if yep. he honors prayers for friends and your neighbor's prayers for you, how much more? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's so awesome. So you said that you started being really discipled and brought into your calling in 2004. Yeah. So that was yeah. really only two years after you got saved. Yeah. Um, Again, I'm not saying everything that happens in my walk is a standard for people to guide their life by. I will, I will, ne I will <laughs> never say that. Never, not even once. I won't even pretend to make it factual. That is not something I suggest people should get into. But the, the gifting, specifically when it came to dreams, really happened. And I can remember it so vividly. I, w I just came off of like doing a lot of street work one day and I, I came home to sleep. I think, I think it was a weekend. And I said to the Lord, I said, God, how come I'm seeing you move in so many lives of people that I don't know? How come you won't give me anything about my family? Mm. And I said, and I was just like, God, like, just give me some, I even remember, I think we even remember asking, like, like, just give me a dream or something, like, give me something. And so I went to sleep and I had a dream. <laughs> and my mom uh, was downstairs cleaning something. Uh, and, uh, she, she, was cleaning out the ashes in our, you know, a wood stove in our living room. She was cleaning out the, the, the ashes. And I went down, um, and kind of met her down there and kind of started having this conversation. And I kind of woke up from that and I was like, oh, well, God, like what, like what's going on? It was either coming out of the dream or as I was waking up, God said, you need to go down and you need to ask your parents for forgiveness. Cause when you first got saved, you were so reckless. You did more damage than what you were graceful. Oh, wow. And I said, okay. And I went downstairs, and sure enough, my mom was in that same spot, cleaning up the ashes out of, out of the wood stove. And I said, hey, mom, dad, can I talk to you guys for a second? And I just, and this happened more than once, by the way, because mm -hmm. like I said, I was a little reckless when I got saved. <laughs> um, but I, and I told her, I said, hey, look, this is where I'm at. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to upset you guys. I'm trying to honor you guys as best I can. I'm figuring all this out. But look, I, I love you. I just want, if there's any offense that took place, forgive me. I'm sorry. And then they were like, yeah, like, hey, like, no, like, no problem. We know you're working this out. Just like, hey, just dial the fire back a little bit and just, you know, help us out, you know, with kind of understanding where you're at. It, it ended up being really, really good. And so 
after that, it was a two week streak of finding out people in my town that I had wronged when mm-hmm. I was an unbeliever. And then I went back and spent probably about two weeks going back and finding people in grocery stores and in like, in, you know, in, in the mall or at, at restaurants, and like just asking people for forgiveness because like, man, if that's what I did to my family, I can guarantee you there's mm-hmm. some other things that happened there. And that was my real big introduction to dreams is that out of that one dream that I had and that one moment with the Lord, it sparked this whole revelation of like all of this came out of a direct dream that I had that everything was perfectly laid out. So I'm like, okay, so dreams are a thing. Okay, cool. I don't know what this is, but all right, so let's get into this. And then shortly after that, I met the prophet that I was under uh, from 2004 to 2008. That's awesome. The the other people that you went and repented and apologized to did he give you dreams for each of them or <laughs> nope he did not it was once once i i asked my parents for forgiveness it was like okay cool and this mental list came up whether it was the holy spirit or what it was it was like boom you need to go do this and i was like i need to go ask these people for forgiveness now yeah. it was like i got saved all over again i was like I, like this is like i gotta get this done now mm-hmm. uh and so it wasn't so much a dream it was just the dream opened up that realm of conviction to hit like hey this is the damage you did yeah like, you got saved and that's awesome but you need to take some responsibility for what you did when you were, you know, when you were freshly saved and also some things that you did that professionally mm-hmm. with some people you worked with. Hey, if you were saying you're my follower, you'd better walk in some character. So I was like, yeah, okay, here we go. So off I go and do the whole repenting bit and forgiveness with people. So it was a beautiful thing that took place for about two weeks. That's amazing. So you hooked up with this prophet mentor he recognized your gifting. Is that because you were sharing or was it just, oh, I see the call on your life because he was a prophet? It was it was the first it was the first service I was there with with them at, at this church because I was transitioning from one town to to another. Um, uh-huh. And I was looking for a church to go to. Um, and I heard that there was one that was in the area that was a little similar to what I'd experienced. Like, oh, cool, cool. Off I go. And a couple of my friends said I should go down. Uh, and so I was, it was my first day, first service there and they're like hey i don't know who you are but god's all over you so we gotta feel like hey we love to chat with you afterwards and then i started making that my home church um and then it was short it was probably about maybe two or three months after that they're like okay okay cool so this is here we go and i was like i don't know what you're talking i have no idea like gifts of the holy spirit offices the fivefold I have like I was like I was everything was brand new. I was I have no idea what you're talking about. Like you're talking mm-hmm. Greek to me right now. Like I have no idea. And then it was soon after that that they started explaining some of the things that happened when I got saved, some things that happened, you know, in in the dreams I was getting, and some of the revelation and what of knowledge I was working in. They were like, "Oh no, it's explainable. Like you can trace all of this." And I was like, "Feed me all of this. Like yes, let's go." Um, yeah, so it really started when I made that transition over, where they started really taking the time to open up scripture and really yeah. show me where you could gauge a lot of the work that the Holy Spirit was doing. That's amazing. So that was your first big dream of revelation. Mm. Mm. How did you end up specializing in dream interpretation and revelation? Um, so funny enough, when I started getting into this, my father told me that somewhere down his generational line, my like great, great, great times, whatever, grandmother was a spiritualist. 
which we would see today as a medium or or one that oh, dealt okay. in in like the 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 spirit readings and apparently she would stand up in meetings and be like hey who here has the initials you know a and m well this is what the spirit says to you and she would do like these kind of like psychic medium readings mm -hmm. oh that was in my bloodline so like okay great so like do i have to fight something off now or like what am i doing with this but when you look at generational blessings and generational curses there was a gift that was instilled in my bloodline that came down the line that got corrupted in some way yeah. shape or form yeah. now my brother my brother has dreams too and we've had some really good conversations about pivotal dreams about this uh that he's yet to walk into the full revelation of jesus as his messiah um which will come but you know my brother has the same gifting as i do um but i i found out very quickly that at that moment where i got saved and got healed um, I started having dreams. I really believe that God purified my bloodline in that mm -hmm. moment. And then I got that kind of that, that prophet mantle that was on my bloodline for years. But um, because of the corruption that took place in my bloodline, it, it, it didn't come through in a divine sense. And so it kind of skipped right. all the generations until it got to me. So number one, it was on my family bloodline. So I kind of yeah. cheated in that respect because I got something I didn't know I had, right. um, which is, worked out really well for me. Um, but but from that, um, how did I start working in that? Well, I just made myself available to it. You know, I just made myself open to if this is something that God's going to use, God's going to use. And so there are some other gifts that, like, I tried to understand that just weren't my fit. Like tongues interpretation, I've seen it done maybe once or twice that it happened really well. But, like, yeah, this isn't my thing. Situation is yeah. that's cool. Um, but dreams seem to be the one thing that not only did I dream, but I understood. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like Daniel, where he would give the, the interpretation to dreams as people were having them. So, like, I didn't dream a lot. If I dream once a month, I'd be impressed. Like, oh, God's really speaking to me this month. Um, but the, the gift of interpretation and the sermon yeah. has definitely been something that kind of came up. So it wasn't so much the fact of just dreams. It was being able to pull word-based symbolism to what people were seeing and mm -hmm. testing it and that's the big thing whether you dream or not test it whether you work in prophecy or not test it whether you're a pastor and you have a gift for preaching and teaching test it test everything mm -hmm. right and so i just spent a lot of time testing so um, give an example of how you would test that that's a great question um so what would happen is let us say um I started knowing that I was getting a lot of dreams that were being very symbolic, you know, animals, colors, people, places, faces, that type of thing. And so what I learned really early on was that the Holy Spirit will never show you something that you can't find in the word. Mm -hmm. Right. It said of the Holy Spirit when Jesus was, was leaving in John chapter 14 and 16, it says that he will come and won't speak of his own accord, but he will give to you what is of me. Right. So anything that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal can be found in the word. Anything, mm -hmm. anything that, that is of a divine ordinance can be traced through scripture. So before I even got into like the love of dreams, I fell in love with the word. I fell mm -hmm. in love with understanding how things are just written out and played out. And so when dreams started to come, you know, um, whether they were like eagles well i know isaiah 40 31 says that you know those waiting upon the lord you know they shall right. you know be mounted up on the wings of eagles right okay well that's cool so that's probably talking about this person must be needing some rest for something well how did you know i just kind of pieced the symbolism together you yeah. know and so revelation and the word go hand in hand mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're never they're never separate from each other. You know, the Holy Spirit will never the Holy Spirit will never leave Himself without a trace. You can always trace mm-hmm. Him to something. Um, and so, the dreams really were just kind of the icing on the love of, you know, the cake, which would be just falling in love with the Holy Spirit and the Word. Yeah, you know. And so, for me. <laughs> Another thing I used to do is I used to whatever we go out to eat because when I first got saved we were Pentecostal so we'll, you know we we went we went out to eat like a lot um, <laughs> you know which is why I think we had two sir two services one so we can get lunch two so we can get supper like I'm just uh-huh. joking about. and so what I used to do is I used to get people to just put things in front of my face like a salt shaker or pepper or a mm-hmm. knife or ketchup or mustard and in some way shape or form I had to relate the gospel message with that mm. symbolism. And so I was training myself unknowingly at a really early uh, life in my in, in my faith walk to recognize symbolism and relate it to Jesus, you know? Um, so how is mustard related to Jesus? Well, the beautiful thing about that is that mustard being the yellow color, when we read Psalm 62, it talks about the wings of those that he loves will be laden with gold and yellow gold for victory mm. and protection. Mm. Right. So what happens is, is, is when we start to realize how colors and symbols work with the Lord, when we start to see that, it starts to kind of bring scripture alive. Also, mustard's a, a condiment. So maybe everyone, you know, your covering might not be ketchup, but it might be mustard. Mm-hmm. Not every not every covering is going to be your flavor, but whatever flavor you like, make sure it's authentic. So you're not mixing flavors you don't like. Yeah. Right. And so you're, and again, we're not making doctrine out of it. It's a discipline. It's a practice. Right. And so right. when people start used to give you, know, when people started to try to do words of knowledge on people or do prophetic imagery, man, I, I, one of my jobs was to test things. Like, was this God or not? And I can make mm-hmm. a strong yes or strong no based off of scripture. Right. Mm-hmm. And so how we test things is what is it that we are receiving that the word validates and approves? Yeah. So with that, because obviously mustard itself is not in scripture, you can't search the Bible for mustard, right? But you know the color, you know it's a seasoning Mm -hmm. and a condiment, as you said, right? Mm -hmm. So when symbols show up in dreams that obviously are more modern, so they're not going to be in the Bible, like a car. Sure. Or, um, well, you... (laughs) The car, the car is a massive one that comes up a lot with people. I know, right? That's why I brought that one up. <laughs> I actually had a dream that had a, a devil clown in it, and you were able to interpret that. So, you know, um, how do you take those? Does it come also from people's life experience, but then rooted in scripture? Like, how do you take those things that are not necessarily found directly in the Bible, but relate them to? So sometimes... Um, sometimes a car is just a car. Sometimes mm-hmm. the color yellow is just a yellow. Sometimes the clock saying 327 just means 327. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is not to become so super spiritual that everything means something, but we want to be so practical that sometimes it's just talking about something to do with someone's life. And so right. um, just to pick on the vehicle, the car thing for a second. No, you're right. That, you know, like when, when the disciples were all together in one accord, it wasn't talking about a Honda, right? Like, like it just, it just right. It wasn't one of those types of things. But what we do know is in Genesis chapter 41, where Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams, right? Um, the seven years, the seven cows, right? The seven years of famine, the seven years of plenty. 
it says that after Joseph was adorned with like a necklace and a ring, it said he gave Joseph the right to ride in his second chariot. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we see chariot, we see vehicle. And what the second chariot was, was that's how uh, the Pharaoh displayed the authority that Joseph had in all of Egypt. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so when we see vehicles, oftentimes it refers to, or it can refer to someone's authority, their gift, their call, or their stewardship of what God has called them into. So if your car is going backwards, it means you possibly could be going in the wrong direction with what God's called you to do. If your car is going forward and you're on the road, it could mean that you're going in forward motion. If your tire is flat, that means you're not paying attention to some things that could cause your, your gift to become flatlined. You're not mm-hmm. doing stewardship over it. So it's situational. It's different. Every dream is a different meal course that requires different things. And so um, the big thing is, is when we look at symbolism and we look at things in, in scripture, we don't make, well, this is exactly what this means. Well, no, because sometimes a cat in someone's dream can mean something different than the cat in someone else's dream. Now, maybe they just right. lost their favorite cat. Well, no, it's gotta be this. Well, you can't say that because it's subject, you know, revelation is subject to the receiver. Right. right? Even, even with, even with denominational backgrounds, I've had some people that come from very hard Baptist or very hard Pentecostal denominational backgrounds that just the way that they are taught, you filter through the kind of the brush of their denominational stuff and get to the root of what really the Lord is saying, because they're going to perceive as their minds been, uh, as as they've been governed. So the word is the biggest thing Mm -hmm. and not overcomplicating something just because, well, I had a dream about a black car. I need more than that to make a fair interpretation. Right. So, (laughs) Yeah. So with that, I've, I've kind of taught this on the podcast, and I think you were kind of getting into this, but I just want to make sure that I'm teaching correctly, too. I've kind of shared how, in a sense, we have our own dream language because we all have our own experience of life. Yeah. So, for example, you love black forest cake. Someone else might not like chocolate, right? Mm-hmm. So chocolate would be a different meaning to them than it would to you. Exactly. So that is accurate, where it's, we have our own thoughts and connotations, and God speaks to us individually based on the filter that we see life through on some yeah, level. Very, very much. I mean, there's some core common things that every believer should, if they have a dream or an open vision, uh, or like they go into some kind of prophetic revelation thing in worship, and they seeing all these things. There are some baseline things mm-hmm. that are just going to be across the board, generalized, sure. Yeah. But to the nitty gritty, Revelation is subject to the one who's receiving it, right? And so, yeah, I, I could love you know black forest cake, and it could have been the most amazing thing ever. Um, but to another person who might be allergic to that, that could be a symbol of like something that is dangerous to them, right? right. So again, you have to discern the person along with, with the revelation that's being given. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you said there are some things that people should know across the board. Can you give us an example of a few of those things? Certainly. So. Um, Oftentimes, whenever something divine happens, and I don't mean like, like there, there, there's three types of dreams, really, that dreams are going to fall into. Divinely inspired of the Lord, whether that be in correction, warning, whatever the case is, the Lord normally will give you some type of instruction or whatever the case mm-hmm. is. Then there's the demonic realm. You're talking night terrors. You're talking about, you know, seasons of terror in the night. Uh, things that are brought on by, you know, whatever 
whether it's a life trauma or open doors in a demonic, whatever the case is, there's those types of dreams. And then there's just your mind recycling information. <laughs> if you are an overthinker, right? If you are an outward processor and you have to talk through things to get to your, you know, get to a, like the baseline of something, depending on how you process information and revelation that can fill your mind. And so one thing that is common across the board is how you feel in a dream, mm-hmm. right? Oftentimes people, when they send me dreams, it's like, okay, but yeah, this is a lot of detail, but what did you feel? Would you, were you feeling, you know, encouraged? Were you feeling like in awe of the, you know, the presence of the Lord, or maybe you're having dreams with angels in them, you know, mm-hmm. were there some, was there some form of fear of the Lord that you tangibly could sense? You know, in a nightmare, were you just seeing something that was demonic or were you filled with terror, mm-hmm. right? Oftentimes, revelation always leaves a physical mark. Mm-hmm. Revelation always leaves a physical mark. It's said in the back end of Luke, in Luke chapter 24, it said that our hearts not burn when he opened the scriptures concerning himself. And so when the Holy Spirit starts to move and give you revelation, your physical body will react to it. And that's one of the main guides you can tell is how did you feel in a dream? Because mm-hmm. God's not removed from our emotions. He works with them. Right. And so one of the biggest things that is across the board is what are you feeling? How are you reacting to what you are seeing? Mm-hmm. Because your body should react to some form of revelation. I've had people email me with some dreams that they may, maybe they've been praying for something. They wake up with this gut-wrenching, you know, like, I woke up and my, te- you know, my chest was tight and I was panting and all I could think of was this friend of mine who's going through this issue in their life and all I could do was pray. What does that mean? Well, we just got to pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your, yeah. body, your body sometimes will be the gauge to what you need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, God works within the five senses that he's given us. He works within that. But when it comes to imagery, there are things when you have, you know, when, when you have an angelic encounter in a dream, chances are you know it's an angel. Yeah. And most times you don't have to think about, I wonder if that was an angel or not. You, you, you kind of know the same with something demonic. You don't have to worry about it. It's yeah. one of those things, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so across the board is that, is that to the degree that you are in relationship with the Holy Spirit, he will reveal to you what is divine and what is demonic and what is fleshly. Mm-hmm. And you will know it because your body will react to it. Yeah. Right? And imagery, oftentimes, he will feed you something that you can that you can respond to, a family member, a person, a name, a color that goes, oh, wait a second, I recognize mm-hmm. that, I recognize that, and then he'll pull you into deeper realms of revelation, but across the board, entertaining a presence of something, your body would react to it, so you know it's something divine or something demonic. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, because angels often show up in my dreams as people, but they're usually doing some sort of guidance or help. Anytime an angel manifested on the earth in scripture, it was always a man. It was always mm-hmm. masculine. Um, I don't have time to get into that, but they, they were always bad and they were always doing something. Mm-hmm. They were always in function. They were just kind of like, there was like a cool pedestal on like someone's yard doing mm-hmm. like nothing. There was a function they were doing, right? They are the ones that are helping us. Are they not all ministering flames of fire sent to those who are inheriting salvation scripture tells us. Yeah. And so most times in dreams, they might be like 
you, you, you'll be able to tell their features, but not their facial features, or mm-hmm. they will be in function or they'll be like clothed in light and wonder, and they'll be giving you the guidance towards mm-hmm. something. So with that, I see sometimes a man I don't know and a woman I don't know, and I feel like they both have a divine function. So what would the woman in that sense be if the man's an angel? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, from just from a wide sweep of generic symbolism, most times mm-hmm. when you see men or a man that is helping you in, in a dream, more so times than not, you're going to reference that as angelic help. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's a friend of yours, like a close friend of yours, maybe you've got a prayer partner or a really close you know, uh, brother or sister in Christ, sometimes your friend can reference the Holy Spirit, the one who is mm-hmm. alongside us, uh, you know, mm-hmm. or could talk about that relationship with the Lord. The, the female uh, could fall into two categories. <clears throat> now, Proverbs chapter 1, chapter 2, uh, even into the later chapters eight and nine, talk about wisdom that is personified in a female sense. They, we, mm-hmm. we reference her as lady wisdom. Um, and the reason why wisdom is personified as a female is because the word wisdom in, in Hebrew is actually feminine. It's not a masculine word, it's a feminine. Interesting. So the reason why it's brought up to that rate of being known as lady wisdom is because the word itself is personified as female. But we look at Zechariah chapter five and we see the woman in the wheat basket and the angel says, this is wickedness. Mm-hmm. Wickedness is another one of those words as well. That is feminine. Mm-hmm. But the thing is too, is that we can see that there's lady wisdom in Proverbs the whole way through. And we also know that there's a lot of female entities in scripture that are demonic, mm-hmm. right? Any angel that ever showed up in scripture was always male, mm-hmm. always male. Um, and but there are multiple and myriads of female-based demonic entities that are in scripture we can see that come in like an angel of light, but are actually deceptive in nature. And so it depends on what the person is doing, where you gauge is this wisdom from God, mm-hmm. or is this something demonic that's masquerading as wisdom? Is it fleshly wisdom or is it godly wisdom? So that woman in your dream, depending on what she's doing, could be. A, a measure of wisdom being given to you or someone trying to steal wisdom from you. Interesting. Yeah. In this, the particular dream I'm thinking of, there was a guidance that was definitely like a godly guidance. And there was a man and a woman, and it was like they were working together and they were coaches in the dream. Mm. Yep. <laughs> so I was like, initially I'm like, those must've been angels. But you know, then I've heard obviously Angels are always referenced as men. So it was like, okay, so what's the female? <laughs> so what am I doing with this part now? <laughs> yeah. 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 So would you be up for interpreting a quick dream before oh, we? Yes, I would love to do that. Okay. I had a kind of crazy one. I think it was the night before last, but it's pretty short. So I figured this would be a good way to do it. So everybody could yeah, absolutely. hear how your process works. So I had a dream. I think I think I was at a place that I own that I'm actually selling. I'm not sure though, cause you know, dreamland, it doesn't look exactly the same. Sure. So I had a, I was getting ready to go to sleep for the night, but the place was dirty. It hadn't been cleaned. It was clear. The cleaners hadn't been there in a bit. There were spider webs and cobwebs all over. So I took a brush and it looked kind of like what you would use to brush a horse 
Ooh. crossed with like what you would use to scrub a car at a car wash, you know, like it sure. had a handle and it heavy bristle brush. Mm. So I'm brushing the cobwebs and the spider webs away. And I brushed some away and it was almost like it was a table, but there was a bed on top of the table. <laughs> so I'm brushing the spider webs and cobwebs away. And I see that there are like some egg sacs in one of them. And I'm like, yuck, we're going to get rid of those. <laughs> <laughs> and then I see the spider and it's mm. this really big black spider. And when I see it, I know it's poisonous. I know, I, I believe I called it a black recluse in the dream. Like instead of a brown recluse, I called it a black recluse, but I recall thinking it looked like a black widow. Mm. Only instead of a red spot on its belly, it had almost like a clear spot, like a diamond, but not shiny and pretty on its back. And I remember thinking it looked like a black widow, but it was a black recluse. And I went to kill it. And I kept using heavy objects to try to kill it. Like, I don't even know, probably the back of the brush, another big thing. And every time I tried to kill it, this thing would not be crushed. It was like it was armored. Okay. So I went to kill it. And I'm like, all I have other than what I've tried to use is my heel. And I'm like, I'm in rubber soles. And this thing hasn't been crushed by this other stuff. But I don't know what else to do. So I'm just going to step on it. Uh -huh. And I did. And it died. <laughs> And then I went and told a friend that was there who happens to be a prophet. I'm like, guess what just happened? <laughs> so that was the dream. Awesome. Sweet, sweet. Uh, two quick questions on that. The egg sacs, were they on the bed or on the table or just kind of like underneath? Underneath the table. Under the table. Perfect. Under the table. That the bed was set up on top of whatever that was about. <laughs> no, that's, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. <clears throat> okay, so... Whenever we see, uh, number one, I get super giddy when I do dreams. I love it. I laugh all the time because <laughs> it's just so good. This is just so good. Okay, focus. All right. Um, so a place you're owning or selling. Okay, whenever we see buildings in dreams, oftentimes they reference, they can reference us as people, Matthew chapter 12, 43 to 45, and Luke chapter 11 talk about that. It can reference, um, so it could reference us as people. It can reference our family name or bloodline, like a household name. Mm -hmm. Or it could be talking about what Galatians chapter 6 says, the household of faith. So mm -hmm. it's either like a church or, or a faith group, uh, a family bloodline, or ourselves. In this case, it's you. It's your own personal self. You're owning it, selling it. So it's kind of yours, kind of looking to get rid of it. Scripture says that we are not our own. We steward, but we don't own. So you, you function, you're stewarding it, but you don't own it, mm -hmm. right? It's up for someone to come and be, and, and, and be, and be uh, living in it. Someone else can come take this. So the interesting thing is this, Matthew 12, 43 to 45 says, when an unclean spirit has been released from a person that goes and finds rest in dry places, finds none. Then it says, I will return to my former inhabitants and it goes back and it finds its former place swept, put in order, but vacant. Mm -hmm. Meaning nothing is indwelling. Then it says, I'm going to grab seven more wicked than myself, come in and rehabitate. Okay. So this also talks about the doctrinal sense of repossession should it happen in, in, right. in a deliverance setting. But this is, this is the whole other, close that door. We'll get to that later on. Um, and so what happens is, you're cleaning up all these spider webs. So this is talking about possible places that either one, 
you have not allowed the Holy Spirit to have full control of. Or number two, it's a place that the Holy Spirit you were very vibrant in beforehand, but just hasn't been getting the same amount of attention as what it should be. Now, whether this is an accurate right now dream or it's something the Holy Spirit saying, hey, there's maybe some areas you need to look at, you, you need to look in on because this could happen. So mm -hmm. you're brushing all this stuff off and there's this table on top of a bed, right? A bed on top of a table. Bed like it was almost like a dining table and the bed was set up on top of it. Okay, so beds, right? And tables. Psalm 23 says that he makes Perfect. a table for me in the midst of my enemies, but mm -hmm. also he causes me to lay down by in green pastures beside still waters. Yes. Meaning that maybe you're not resting well because the bed is not being used a mm. little bit dusty some cobwebs on it table kind of dusty not sitting not abiding okay this is no condemnation just giving you the mm -hmm. so you're like cool let's 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 clean this out so you start to clean you start to consecrate you start to see what was happening boom you find the eggs okay now there is fruitfulness of darkness hanging around something has been laid here to rob me from my mm. rest and rob me from sitting at peace in the table in the midst of my enemies. Mm. Then you see the thing. Then you see the thing. It's a hybrid between a black widow and a brown recluse, both, both deadly spiders. Yep. Spider webs are also seen as something that can um, stifle movement, mm. can cause people to get caught up in things and or be caught as prey if you're not careful. The spider itself is lethal, which means it's poisonous. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but it's not coming at you from above or from below. It's waiting for you to be still so it can come and get you. Okay, so <laughs> now you're like, this thing doesn't have a red dot, have, have a red dot on it. It's got a diamond on it, which means diamonds are birthed under pressure. Mm -hmm. So nothing of pressure or weight is going to kill this thing because the thing was born in pressure. It was conceived in pressure. Nothing man-made, catch it, nothing man-made mm -hmm. is going to kill this thing. So what do you do? you got rubber boots on, right? What color were they? Uh, that I don't know. I Well, I was in sneakers, not boots. Okay. The only thing I saw was the sole. Like I saw the sole of my foot going down on it, and it was just like a regular sneaker. You know, the light brown and the gotcha. white around the edge. Yeah, sometimes if there is sometimes color that pops back, that can mean something. But in this case, your foot, meaning your walk, your walk, right? The things that you were walking towards. But what did you use to crush the spider? What part of your foot? My heel. Genesis chapter three. Yeah, I will put enmity between you, your seed, and the seed of the woman. Her seed shall crush your head, and your seed will bruise his heel. heel. Okay, so what this actually means is, and then you went and told a friend who was a prophet, like, hey, check this out, it's called the spider. It's awesome, high five. What this means is this. In a season where you might be a little busier than what you think, if you neglect the areas the Lord is leading you to as a good shepherd, and he is a good shepherd, Psalm 23, mm -hmm. what you will find is there will be an inhabitation of something that's going to try and stifle you and cause you to be an unrest 
but the Lord needs you to use and exercise the authority that you get through the person of Christ to crush this thing under your foot. But be careful because the size of it and the, and the venom of it will actually cause much harm if you are not quick with killing it off. So when mm-hmm. you are cleaning off the bed that the Lord needs you to, to rest in, the table to sit in, do not allow these places of your function to be put into uh, comatose or on the back burner. Clean it. Make sure it is not vacant and and occupy that space because in your rest and in waiting in the Lord, that's where your strength is going to be. So if you are not abiding, the enemy will be able to come in and keep you ensnared and keep you poisoned with not progressing with the way the Lord has your walk going. Interesting. Now, does that confirm anything? I knew it was about authority because I was like, there's something about the fact that nothing that I used that was hard would kill it, but my foot did Mm. (laughs) because I'm like the enemy's crushed under our feet. So I knew it was about stepping into authority. I knew the table probably had something to do with a table before in the presence of our enemies. Mm. Um, I wasn't really sure about the bed on the table thing. So what you were saying about those places, make sure you don't leave those places vacant. Mm-hmm. Um, explain that a little more. Sure. So Jesus says in John 15, abide in me. Mm-hmm. Abiding doesn't mean come see me every once in a while. <laughs> it means where your life is, you need to stay there. Yeah. So Psalm chapter one also says, that those that don't sit in the seat of scoffers and mockers and take, you know, counsel from the wicked, it says their roots go down deep. Mm-hmm. So the reason why, why Jesus says to abide is don't just visit. You need to stay here. This needs to be the source that you draw from. Hebrews 4 actually says that Israel actually fell into some disobedience because they resisted walking into the rest of God. And so what that means is make sure that those places aren't vacant. It means don't forget to abide Mm -hmm. because your desire and intentions in of themselves are not well if you're not abiding in the true vine. Abiding means we don't move until he says to go. And abiding means we stay when he says to stay. And so abiding means that you are consistently occupying a space to keep it away from those that can destroy it and leave it in ruin. Mm, so good stewardship yes yes well and it's interesting too because i wondered if the spider represented witchcraft in some way that i had i don't know but not that it's active in me but if there was something that i was dealing with that needed to be or attack so when it comes to insects Mm -hmm. insects can multiply very quickly and so the fact that there were eggs but nothing was crawling Mm-hmm. means that it very well could have come into a place where you would have maybe fallen victim to something of a witchcraft basis. Um, but because you were able to kill the thing off quickly, there was no room for reproduction. Okay. So whenever the initial puncture with the venom, whatever the spider had, mm-hmm. that could have led into multiple other things down the line, the seven more wicked than itself. Right. Right. And so what the enemy wants to do, he doesn't just want you to die out. He wants you to suffer as you go. Mm. Right. And so, and so if he can steal the thing that gives you the most place of abiding rest and confidence in who you are, then he can slowly pick away at the rest. Right. Remember Delilah, 
Delilah infuriated Samson. Didn't get him in one shot, picked away at him time after yeah. time after time after time after time until he gave her access to his covenant with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So you have all seen the master at work here. <laughs> Definitely not a master. Not a master. Not at all. I'm always learning. I'm always learning new ways to interpret. So definitely not a master, not a master. <laughs> I knew you were going to argue with that, but it just sounded so good coming out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the kind words I do, but I'm definitely not in a mode to call myself a master by any shape or form fashion. But you know the words so well, and it's just so solid. So anyhow, so if you could leave the audience with one nugget to take from today, a piece of advice, a little bit of wisdom, a word of encouragement, anything like that, what would it be? Be jealous for the, the entertaining of God's presence. Mm -hmm. Do whatever you can to have your time to read and entertain the Holy Spirit. Nothing else really matters. If you are not well with the Lord, nothing will be well. Mm. Um, ministry is not the primary reason why we got saved. Um, functioning as the body, although important, is not the reason why you got saved. Experiencing the goodness of God in the land of the living, knowing his word, and being in relationship with him, everything will flow from that. But make a conscious effort to be jealous for the times of your alone time with the Lord. Yes, be in community. Yes, study to show yourself approved. Yes, be excellent in what God's called you to. You know, serve in your local assembly. Learn and grow in what God's grace you to. All those things are good things. You definitely be, um, you know, things to definitely grow in. But if you are not entertaining the presence of the Lord, you're not in his word daily, and you're not taking time to pray and be filled, nothing is going to flow from that. You're going to be an empty vessel striving for attention. So be jealous of your time with the Lord and do everything you possibly can to have those moments in time. Because at the end of the day, fruit is what matters, not ministry gifts, not anointings, not anything. The fruit of the Holy Spirit matters, but it only comes from being planted in him and experiencing him on a daily basis. Amen. As your soul prospers, so will your life. Exactly. Bingo. Mm. I love it. I wanted to just edify you a little bit too about what you were saying about abide, because when I was responding, I didn't think of this, but he's been talking to me a lot about, you know, shifting my prayer time, not as much in decrees, but just thanks, mm. like resting in him in the thanks of what he's already promised. Let's go. Not just decreeing the promises, but thank me for what I am already doing in the spirit realm. Thank, thank me for what I already showed you rest in my presence and in worship. So, and this is how, this is how you test an interpretation. Yeah. Or second Corinthians 13 verse one said, every word must be established on a method two to three witnesses. Yes. And so this is how you test. <laughs> is there confirmation for the interpretation? Yes, there is. So that's how you test to know that you can trace everything back to the scriptures at the end of the day. Yes. I am not right. Jesus is, right. I am not right. right. So that's how you test something. Perfect example. Yes. Right I was like, I have to say this because this is a great example of that. And, wow. you know, it's a good example, too, of how he confirms a word to us directly. Yes, he's been absolutely. speaking to me about giving thanks. 
-hmm. and resting in him. But you know, it can be hard when you've been like, I'm fighting a hard battle. You want me to rest? Or do you want me to keep, are you sure you want me to rest? You know, like, or am I supposed to fight hard? Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes we need that encouragement. No, you really are supposed to rest right now in me. It doesn't mean stop believing. It doesn't mean stop standing, Mm -hmm. but it means, as you said, abide in me. So I had to add that before we finished off. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much, Andrew. It's been such a pleasure to have you and Thank you for joining us, listeners. I will talk to you next week.